We're going to go straight into preaching, and we're in the letter of 1 Peter, so if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to go there. And our text is 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 7. We looked at this verse last week, or this passage last week. Um, This is part of Peter's long description all the way to the end of chapter 5 about what it looks like to live honorably as a Christian in a non-Christian world, or in our case, in a post-Christian world. Uh, What does it look like for you to be a witness in the world? Uh, Aside from the value and and benefit that it is to do these things fundamentally, we do it in a context of people who don't know Jesus Christ, and this is all foreign to them. And so, how do you live? that's, That's what we're going through right now in 1 Peter. So last week, this text, we looked at it to see what it said about wives... Um, and how they, what their posture is in a marriage. Today we examine the same text and we look to it for what does it say about husband? What's our posture? What's our responsibility in a marriage? So let's read 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7 and ask for the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Lord, your your design and your vision and your purpose for marriage is a beautiful thing. And it is a witness to the world to things that are greater than marriage, they're witnesses to you and to Jesus and to his relationship with the bride, the church. And so, Lord, today would you empower us, not only husbands and wives here, but those singles, those youth, everybody who needs to see this vision also and contend for it and appreciate it and support it. Not just for the sake of marriages, but for the sake of the gospel going out, for the sake of showing the world the difference that Jesus makes. And we ask you to illuminate it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You probably noticed that the only instruction in this text that's addressed to husbands is verse 7. (laughs) Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman. So the wives get six verses, the guys get just one. I wondered about that. I wonder why that is. Uh, 
I don't think it's because the guys kind of have this marriage thing down. <laughs> and you only need like one verse reminder. Uh, that's definitely not true in my marriage. Um, but why six verses for the wife, only one for the husband? I think the answer is this. Peter has been talking now for some time about different human institutions that have been established by God for the health of a society. And the way that those institutions run well according to God's design is when people submit to or follow the people who have authority to lead those institutions. So instructions are given to those who are called to submit primarily in, in this whole section. As it relates to government, everybody should submit. As it relates to the workplace, the employees are to submit. And as it relates to marriage, it's the wives who are to submit. That's why he addresses them first and at length. Submission is her calling in the marriage, not his. So that's where the focus is. But Peter doesn't want to leave it there. Technically, he could have just gone on to another topic at this point. He didn't have to address the husbands directly, just as he didn't address the governors, he didn't address the employers. But here he does. Here he addresses the one who leads this thing. Because we're not just talking here about those impersonal kinds of institutions like government and the workplace. We're talking about the most intimate human relationship that there is. Marriage between a man and a woman. This is the very first institution that God created in the garden between Adam and Eve. This is the building block of society. We have to get this right. Marriage is too important to address to only the one who submits. Something needs to be said to the leader. And so even though we only have one verse for that leader... It packs a punch. <laughs> it's got a lot in it for that guy, as I hope to show you as we walk through it. And again, as I mentioned last week, don't tune out if you're not married. Remember, Peter didn't say these things at a marriage conference. He wrote these things to the elect exiles of the dispersion. He wrote this to every believer out there who lives in this non-Christian world and makes a difference in it. He wrote it to the singles. He wrote it to the youth. He wrote it to everybody because there are values here that are worth protecting. There, there are principles here that deserve our attention and our support. There are marriages that we want to uphold under God's design. So it's for all of us. So here's how we're going to approach this passage. We'll walk through verse 7, one phrase at a time in five chunks. And we'll connect it to our lives along the way. Yes, definitely a lot of it's going to apply to the husbands directly. But we're also going to look back into verses 1 through 6, especially under the first point, because there are some things there that we need to come back to. So let's, let's start with, the, with verse 7, the first phrase. This is the overall instruction or command. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So, literally in the original language, live with her according to wisdom. Live with her according to knowledge. 
Now, what wisdom or knowledge that is, Peter doesn't specify, but I don't think we have to make it too complicated. It simply means, husbands, know your wife. (laughs) Know your wife. (laughs) Know what her strengths and her weaknesses are. Know what tempts her to sin. Know what situations are hard for her. Know what would encourage her. Know what would make her day. That's how you live in an understanding way. It means you don't do what I did early in our marriage. (laughs) And I may have told this story before, I don't remember. But it was Mary's birthday, and um, I noticed in my keen sense of awareness that she needed a new hair dryer because it was old and it wasn't working so great and it was really noisy and that bothered me. Um, So, aha, her birthday's coming up. I bet she would be so thrilled that I recognized this need in her life and I got this for her. So I bought her a hair dryer and I gave it to her on her birthday. And she was polite, and she thanked me for it, but I could tell it didn't really register as high on the emotional level as I was expecting. Um, And I thought about that later. I learned something. Um, That's not exactly a great birthday present. (laughs) Um, I didn't really buy it for her, to be honest. I bought it because the old one was noisy, and I wanted one that wasn't so quiet, that was quieter. I really had no idea what she really wanted, what would make her day. I did not know my wife. Guys, when you get married, you marry somebody that you don't really know. You married a vision of the person (laughs) that is now your wife. (laughs) But it's in the months and the years of marriage that you find out who she really is. It's in that long faithfulness of marriage. It's in the for better or worse times where you discern her heart and you come to know both the unique woman that God has made her to be and the fallen woman that Christ came to redeem. So learn these things of your wife. Get understanding so that you can live with her in an understanding way. And I think the place to start is the themes in verses 1 to 6. If we look back at the instructions for the wife, we find there opportunities for the husband to understand the challenges his wife faces as well as God's purposes for her. For example, she's told to not let your adorning be external, but the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. In other words, her true beauty is not external, but it's in this heart that hopes in God and rests in God's sovereign care and loves Jesus Christ. So you can help with her with that or you can get in the way of that. She will be tempted to see her worth in her external adornment and in her external beauty because of the culture we live in that highly prizes that. Above all, she looks in the mirror and she doesn't like what she sees a lot of times. She needs her husband to care more about her true beauty than her external beauty. 
She needs you to praise her according to the wisdom of Proverbs 31.30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. She needs you to free her from the pressure to conform to the world's expectations about what we should look like. Certainly go ahead and praise her external beauty. (laughs) Definitely do that, like the lover in Song of Solomon. But praise her more and care more for her inner beauty, her true beauty. That's how you live with her in an understanding way. Here's another way. In verse 6, she's encouraged to do good and not fear anything that is frightening. That is, don't be intimidated by anything or anyone because your hope is in God and that's where you rest. So an understanding husband asks the question, what are her fears? What intimidates her? Do you know what tempts her to fear? Is it being a bad mom? (laughs) Or is it getting senile? Or somebody's going to break into our house? Or I'm not really good enough as a wife? Or I'm not really good enough for God? What is it that she's afraid of? What are her temptations? Do you know what they are? If we would live with our wives in an understanding way, we'll need to discern the answers to those kind of questions and we'll want to provide her with biblical truth that helps her to not fear anything that is frightening. If not being good enough is the issue, then we have the privilege of telling her again the good news. Of course you're not good enough. That's why you have a Savior and He is good enough. He's perfect, and through faith in him, he credits his perfection to you. So you stand forgiven. You stand accepted as the perfect wife, blameless before him, the perfect human being. Our acceptance is in Christ, not in our performance. So rest in that, dear wife, and do not fear not being good enough. We have the privilege to say things like that to to our wives, to be that means of grace to her but only if we understand. And that's going to take knowing her. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take observance, paying attention. (laughs) It's going to mean that it won't happen by default, by accident. It means you've got to be in the same room with her (laughs) and talk with her (laughs) and think through things with her, maybe read books together, maybe pray together, maybe go on long walks together. It's going to take that kind of stuff so that you can know her, so that you can get into her heart, so that you can see what's really going on there and then be a means of grace for it. It might be helpful to have a prayer notebook where you list the things that you know. These are the issues. These are the temptations. These are the the fears. And, And you can bring verses into that and you can pray these things for her. And, and you look at the attributes of the godly woman in, in the Bible and you can pray those things and ask God to do that and shape that in her. An understanding husband will do things like that, I think. Maybe, maybe you need to keep a journal, a prayer book, something that, that reminds you of what you're asking God to do for her. But the goal is know your wife so you can live with her according to wisdom so you can lead her well because you understand her. 
And I think that instruction is here because, let's face it, guys, we don't typically get how a woman operates. The cliche about the thick-headed husband is not too far off the mark, I don't think. There's truth in that. We don't automatically understand, but it can be done. Let's do it for her sake. Let's do it for the Lord's sake. Let's move on to the next phrase, which further describes the manner of living with her in an understanding way. He says, live with her in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Showing honor to the woman. We've seen this concept of honor before in Timothy, or in, uh, in Peter's letter. Um, most recently in the command to honor everyone, including the emperor, in, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 17. Generically, that just means to treat someone in a courteous and respectful manner. So definitely husbands should treat their wives like that. It means you put away all malice, all deceit, and all slander, and all evil talk like Peter talked about in chapter 2. So you don't shout, you don't belittle, you don't put her down, you speak respectfully. And I've got a memory of a sad example of someone who didn't do this, which provokes me to consider my own ways. I remember going to a class once where uh, we were learning how to use a piece of equipment that we had bought for our company. And there's a little meet and greet before the class, and that's when you talk about, you know, small stuff. Who are you? You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I remember the instructor. Well, here we are. We're total strangers. Don't know this guy from Adam. And the main thing he wanted us to know was how terrible his wife was because they were separated, and she's pitting the kids against him. And, and I'm thinking, this is something wrong with that. I think I understand why the separation happened here. If that's your attitude towards your wife that you'd pull perfect strangers into it. Um, we don't want to go there. We're to be courteous, respectful to our wives. We're to honor them. But I don't think that's all that Peter has in mind when he talks about the idea of showing honor. Not to wives anyway. The original language is to assign value to or to elevate before others. It's what Jesus does for all believers when he comes to gather his people. So 1 Peter 1.7 says, The tested genuineness of your faith will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Honor when Jesus returns. Honor will be given to you. That is not just a treatment with respect. That is not just being courteous. That's a declaration of worth in God's eyes. That's to communicate approval and delight. It communicates elevated status. That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes for his people. He's going to communicate his approval and his delight, and he's going to elevate you before others at his coming. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 5 to 6, When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a high honor. So Peter says, Husbands, Give your wife a taste of that. Give your wife a taste of what Jesus is going to do for her when he comes in his glory. Give him a taste of that 
future glory, that inheritance that's waiting for us. Honor her. Show her that she's a daughter of the king of kings. Make sure that she knows that. Make sure the kids know that. Make sure other people see you treating her that way. Show it, he says. Showing honor. So, so you do it with actions and you do it with words. You say to her in your own way what the Proverbs 31 husband said. Proverbs 31, 29. He said, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And if you don't think you can say something like that to your wife, it's probably because you don't know your wife. You don't see what she's doing every day, what she goes through with faith, what she bears on her soul daily. You might be taking her for granted. If you think that describes you, husbands, here's something that might help you appreciate the value of your wife. You send her away for a day or two days or three days, and you say, go relax, go take time off, go meet with the Lord, and then you do everything that she's doing. <laughs> so you do all the cooking and the cleaning and the washing and the laundry and the bills and the phone calling and the watching the kids and whatever else she's doing, and then when she comes back two or three days later and you're exhausted in a heap on the floor, you'll be able to say, shh, that you, many women have done excellently, but you surpassed them all. <laughs> and you'll mean it. <laughs> Husbands, show honor to your wife. That's the instruction. Now here comes the fun part at the end of that instruction. Peter says, show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Oh boy. Look out. <laughs> Here comes trouble. As we might say in my rural upbringing, them's fighting words. <laughs> this is another place where we venture into territory that's totally out of step with our American culture. We live in the, in the age of Wonder Woman and female UFC fighters and women in combat. And... We don't want to hear anything like the woman is the weaker vessel. That sounds like the kind of sexist, ignorant male put-down from a day when women wouldn't vote or couldn't vote, couldn't hold a job or do anything outside the home. So we might wish that Peter had just left that part out <laughs> and moved on to his next thought. But we have to remember, these are not just Peter's words. These are God's words. This is part of what God determined is necessary for husbands to know if they will live with their, with their wives in an understanding way and show them honor. So let's give this some thought. Let's start with the basic meaning of these words. Vessel it just means container. It's what you put things in. But sometimes it's used to describe people as in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay, literally clay vessels, this gospel treasure, this grace of God poured into us. We all have this. We're all vessels of clay into which this treasure has been poured. So it just refers to a container or a person. Um, weaker means limited or hindered or disadvantaged in some way. 
It's used in the scriptures to describe many things. Your physical body can be weak, even to the point of sickness. As in Matthew 25, I was sick, literally, I was weak and in prison, and you did not take care of me. The law can be described as weak. As in Hebrews 7, which although the law was good, it made nothing perfect. It was weak in that way. The conscience can be weak. As in 1 Corinthians 8, if somebody sees you, the one who has this knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So that weakness is, is um, it's okay for me to eat something, but I just don't really feel like I can. God doesn't say I can't, but I just don't think I can. That's a weakness. So different things can be weak, but the thing that ties it together is weakness describes some limitation some hindrance that exists. So in saying that the woman is the weaker vessel, Peter means the woman has some kind of limitation or hindrance that the man does not have by comparison. He is the stronger vessel in some sense. He doesn't exactly say in what way she's weaker, which is why commentators are not all in agreement on that, but clearly he is saying that she has a weakness compared to the man. And he doesn't mean only wives here. He means women in general. The word that he uses is the feminine one, the female. It's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. She is the weaker vessel in some way. It has to do with her gender, not her marital status. That is the idea that is totally out of step with our culture, that she's the weaker vessel because she's a woman. Why is it out of step with our culture? Because the message that we hear constantly is that there is no difference between men and women, that there is no stronger, weaker comparison to be made, that Women are as strong as men or even stronger. And so our female superheroes in the movies have to be equally as powerful as the male superheroes, equally capable of crushing anyone into dust, equally capable of saving the world. Our movies reflect our culture. Now, we're going to come back to a woman's strengths later because they are real, but let me just ask you this question. What is the worldview behind our cultural message? What gives energy to this push to eliminate any concept of weaker, stronger between male and female? Isn't it the thinking that fulfillment comes from being strong? Isn't it the idea that you need to be strong and empowered and able to do anything you want if you are to be happy? I think that's the message. But hear this, friends. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news to put our hopes in. The truth is, we are not strong. We are weak. We are so weak as to be dead in our trespasses and sins. But we have a strong Savior. 
sent by God the Father to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be lifted up out of our weakness and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. The good news, the hope for humanity, the hope for women as well as for men is not to become strong, but to recognize our weakness and look to God for strength. To look to Jesus as our strong champion. Romans 5, 6 says, While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul said to the Corinthians about their salvation that God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He said of his own infirmities and challenges that, For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So friends, our fulfillment, our true life in this world is not found in your strength, but in Christ's strength. Let's come back to Peter saying that a husband is to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I ask, is it really a bad thing If God has given the woman a limitation, a weakness that he hasn't given the man so that the man can use his strength to lift her up, is that a bad thing? Is it so awful if a man should feel a God-given responsibility to protect her vulnerability, to defend her from those who would take advantage of her? to make sure that her weakness does not prevent her from reaching an exalted place of honor? Is it a bad thing if the couple hears breaking glass in the middle of the night and it's the guy who goes to find out what that is? Or that he jumps in front of her when an angry dog is coming because he wants to protect her from that dog? Is that a bad thing? I say no, that is not a bad thing. That is a glorious picture of what Jesus does for every one of us whom he saves. He uses his strength to honor the weaker vessel. And in a marriage in particular, it's the husband who has the privilege of doing that for his wife. We lose another witness to the nature of our salvation if we take on the world's idea of seeking our salvation through being strong. Now, everyone wants to know what the female weakness is that Peter had in mind. (laughs) He wasn't specific, which leads to no end of speculation about what that is. Many say it's primarily or even only that the woman is weaker physically. I won't argue against that. In general, that's true, though, of course, you can find ripped females who can take a guy's head off. But if you send a male and a female to the Olympics in the same event, each of them insanely fit, the man is almost always going to have the heavier weight, the faster time, the longer jump, because they're just built differently. They have an inherent physical advantage. But I don't think that we really need to know exactly how the woman is the weaker vessel, or else the Lord would have made that more clear. 
I think it's enough to know that a guy, especially in marriage, should have a posture to protect and uphold the, wim- the woman in whatever way she's vulnerable. Use his strength to make sure she's honored. For single guys, you can practice that now by protecting and upholding the single ladies among us. Take leadership in mixed settings. Care about your sisters in Christ. Pay for their meal when you go out to Chipotle after this meeting. Open doors for them. Make sure that they don't walk to their car alone in the dark. There are ways to honor your sisters, and that prepares you for honoring a wife someday, should God give you that. And I'll just say one more thing before we move on to the next phrase. Weaker vessel doesn't mean the woman does not have strengths or that she needs a man in her life in order to live a significant life. does not mean that. I think of a woman like Anna, the prophetess in Luke 2. You might remember her. Um, Jesus is born. They go to the temple to present him. And there's this woman there. She's 84 years old. And she's a prophetess, and she's been there at the temple and praying and fasting all the time. And she gets to meet the baby Jesus. Well, she lived with a husband, it said, for seven years. Then he dies. So most of her life, she's a widow. She's a single woman. And yet she is the one who gets to meet Jesus and tell everybody about who he is because she's a prophetess. Her life was valuable, significant. She was doing important things. She didn't have to be married. For that to happen. She was strong in the Lord. We know women who are strong in the Lord. The Bible's full of those examples. You know examples. People like that. People like Elizabeth Elliot, who went back to the very tribe that killed her husband and lived with them to convert them. No, ladies have strengths. In fact, husbands need them to have strengths because she is a helper fit for a man. There are things that a guy is weak in that he needs the woman's strength for. Let's move to the next phrase. tells us more about why husbands are to honor the woman as the weaker vessel. I've got to be a little shorter with this, but it's since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Women and wives are fellow heirs of God's grace along with men and husbands. They have obtained the exact same inheritance from God, which is, according to chapter 1, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's the grace of God's electing love, His mercy and His kindness to sinners. It's His gift of eternal life. In the glorious kingdom of God, she has the exact same one you do, brothers. (laughs) And here's why Peter adds that after talking about the weaker vessel. It's a reminder that this woman that you're showing honor to actually is your equal before God. She may have been given a limitation compared to you, but that does not mean she is inferior to you. She's not. She's the object of God's love and honor just as much as you are. So don't think that stronger means better. 
Rather, use your strength to make sure she knows and the world knows that you are fellow heirs of the grace of God, that she's a daughter of the King of Kings, a co-inheritor of the mercy of Jesus Christ. Don't let people mistake her submission to you as some kind of a sign that she is less than you. Instead, go out of your way to dispel that thought. Elevate her in people's eyes to the place that she actually has, which is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And you'll do that if you live with her in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. So husbands, you've been given a privilege of leading someone who is your equal. It's a high privilege. I like a quote from another theologian from long ago. His name was George Swinock. He said, The woman is called the glory of man in 1 Corinthians 11.7 because it is a high honor to him that so excellent a creature as a woman should be in submission. Peter leaves us with one more phrase. There's something that could happen if you don't do this for your wives. <laughs> Man. He says, do it so that your prayers may not be hindered. That your prayers may not be hindered. There's a range of opinion on what that means, but I don't think we have to make this complicated. It means God doesn't listen to husbands who don't honor their wives. God doesn't listen to husbands who don't honor their wives. Your prayers will be hindered if you do that. There will be interference between you and God in the pipeline of prayer so that you ask things for God and he says no more often. This is in line with the reality of God's fatherly discipline of his children. Hebrews 12.10, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. It's not pleasing to him that his redeemed daughter the heir of his eternal salvation should be mistreated at the hands of her husband. And one of the ways that he will train the husband to change is by hindering his prayers by not giving him what he's asking for. It's the principle of James 4, 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proud husbands who are insensitive to their wives will meet opposition to their requests. They will get more no answers than they would otherwise. A picture it something like this. Suppose a father has a son and a daughter. And the son's been mean to his sister all day. And she's off in her bedroom crying. And it's about 5 o'clock and the son remembers, Hey, Dad and I were going to go down to the park and throw the ball around. So he goes up to Dad and says, Hey, it's time to go to the park. Let's throw the ball around. And the dad says, Not until you go and apologize to your sister. <laughs> he says that not because going to his sister is going to earn the boy's trip to the park. It doesn't. But it's because the father wants to train his son in righteousness, in holiness. God trains husbands in righteousness by saying no if we're not honoring our wives. That's how committed God is to husbands honoring their wives. 
for the sake of the marriage and for the sake of their witness in the non-Christian world. He'll put discipline there. He loves us, and that's why he disciplines us. That's a sobering thought, that you could be asking God for something for years, and the reason you're not getting it is because God wants you to work on your marriage first. (laughs) He wants you to show honor to your wife. That's something to think about. But let me close with this question, because if you're like me, conviction has been rising up. (laughs) (laughs) as we've gone through this. Close with a question similar to last week to the wives. The question is, what if I have not lived with my wife in an understanding way? What if I haven't done it? And you can think of reasons and ways you didn't do it. As I was writing this message, I got more and more convicted as I wrote. I came up for lunch about halfway through it. And I said to Mary, only half-jokingly, I'm a terrible husband. <laughs> and really, we should all be humbled if we were to consider our marital record in detail as God knows it. There's only one perfect husband, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, whose bride is the church. And you and I are not him. But here's our encouragement, guys. <laughs> here's how to deal with the guilt of knowing that we fall short. You are an heir of the grace of life. By grace, you have been saved, not by your performance as a husband. If you're in Christ by faith, then the perfect qualities of Christ are credited to you. His record as a perfect husband belongs to you. It's how he sees you. We get rid of our guilt by remembering there's no condemnation from the Holy Judge because he poured that out on Jesus for me. And what that should do is free us to go for it, (laughs) to honor our wives, to live in an understanding way because we know the penalty's been paid already for all of our failures that we're still yet to do. Friends, the world knows all about dysfunctional marriages, delinquent husbands, selfish men who take women for granted. It doesn't know much about husbands who live with their wives in an understanding way, showing them honor as heirs of the grace of life. But we have the opportunity to show them that. And we have the Spirit who enables us to do it. So may the Spirit help us (laughs) for the good of our marriages, our wives, and for the witness to the gospel and how Jesus changes us. That's why these instructions are here. And the Spirit is here to help us. So let's, let's pray. Nobody could do this in their own strength, Lord. We, we know that. Uh, We have plenty of opportunity here for conviction, it can seem like uh, there's no way I could ever get there, but as we, as we heard in the communion today, that we're, a new creature. we're new creatures, new creation, reconciled. In us is life, and we thank you, Lord, that we're, we're secure in Christ. We, we have an inheritance. It's fixed in heaven. It's guaranteed. We're not going to lose that. But... Lord, may that security make us 
freely obey and freely pursue marriage as you intended it to be because it's a beautiful thing to do. It's for our good. We ask you to help us with that. And we ask, Lord, that our marriages would be such a testimony to Jesus and his, op- his way of operating with the church that, that others would want to know this Jesus who makes such a difference. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.